if I may, I'm going to just use this stand here, if that's okay with the music folks. Okay. When we come over here to Cisna Park, there's always one thing that I remember, and that is we're going to go home with a good meal. And uh, it sure smells that way this morning anyhow. So it's good to be with you again. It's been a while since we were here, and I was trying to remember uh, yesterday, when was the last time I was here? And I think, if I remember correctly, it was August of 2009. And a lot has happened uh, in our life since August of 2009. One of the things that you'll notice, maybe some of you saw, uh, the little towhead that came in with us this morning. She's our daughter, Mary Jane. And we got her, I think, just a couple of weeks after we were here. Uh, in, in August, and she's a foster daughter. We've had her since August of 2009, and we're going to adopt her, so we're really excited about that. Um, <coughs> so, Nick, it's it's good to hear about you taking on these kids last night. That That's great. Uh, um, I uh, was recently at a conference down in Mississippi, and uh, it was an Advance the Church conference was the name of the conference, and we had a noon lunch, and a lot of pastors there, a lot of men there. And um, after, during the lunch, they had a panel discussion on adoption and all this international adoption, foster care, all kinds of things. And it's just really neat to see the church getting a vision for this because it's a wonderful thing. We have all been adopted in Jesus Christ. And so it just naturally follows that we, we do that as well. So it's an exciting process. The other thing that I've done since uh, I was last here is I've had a job change. I'm now working for Spread Truth Ministries in Bloomington, Illinois. And your church is familiar with Spread Truth. If you look on your website, you'll see that you have embedded this on your website. It's called The Story. And it is a way that, that we've designed to share the gospel just giving people a brief overview of Scripture. We start in creation, then we go to the fall of what went wrong. We go to uh, the rescue of Jesus Christ coming to the earth, answering the question, can anything be done? And then we talk about the restoration of the new heaven and the new earth. So it's a way of taking somebody through the Scriptures who has very little biblical knowledge, and we just give them an overview of the Scripture. So I have brought some of these with me this morning. They are out in the fellowship hall, and please take them with you. They're free. Take them with you and hand them out to your friends, or uh, if you've got a business, you can put them out there in the literature rack. My brother-in-law runs a business, and he has these out there, and, and he and I said, well, how come they're not, how come people aren't taking them and they're taking your other information? He says, well, they think that these cost money. I said, no, they're free. They're free. So take them and use them and, and enjoy them. The other thing that we do at Spread Truth, we do a lot of things, um, but another thing we do is we take a mission trip every summer to New York City. And we are going again this year. It's our 17th year to go to New York City. And uh, Good to see Ben here this morning. I've been wanting to meet you because I know that uh, you're in New York City and we're going to try to look you up this summer. But if any of you would be interested in going on our mission trip, I brought some brochures with me. Uh, there's one of four ministry tracks that you can choose from. We have a Streets and Parks team. 
We also do a vacation Bible school, and we have basketball and soccer camps. Wonderful trips for young people. If you're in high school, uh, it's a great trip to go on. We'll have about 400 people joining us this year, and we have a great time of praise and worship in the morning, and then we go out and do ministry uh, during the day. So, and many of you have been to New York before, and you can attest that it is a life-changing experience. So uh, see me after church if you're interested in that. We are going to stick around and have dinner. I think it looks like the best gig in Cisna Park today. So anyhow, enough of the commercial. Um, If you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you turn with me to the book of Colossians? It's in the New Testament, and we're going to look at a few verses out of this wonderful book. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1 this morning, and we're going to look at verses 9 through 14. And I'd just like to read these real quick as we get started. Paul writes, he says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience and joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I had a really neat experience happen to me this uh, week, something that I just keep replaying over and over and the Lord's really encouraged me about it. I was headed to my office, which is in downtown Bloomington, and I was crossing the street, and a police car put his lights on, and he stopped me as I was crossing the street. And I thought, what's going on? And I realized that this Bloomington police officer is a man that I've known for a long time, but just haven't had a whole lot of contact with lately. And so he stopped me, and we talked there out on the street for quite a while and had a good conversation. I remember this guy, his name is Fred, when I was a freshman in college. He was a senior, and he was involved in a campus ministry that I was involved in while I was in college. And I just had always looked up to Fred as being uh, an older, mature Christian who just, uh, I thought, had it all together. But he, uh, he started uh, describing to me a spiritual transformation that the Lord has been taking him through for the last couple of years. And it was just really exciting to see what the Lord has been doing in his life. And then he told me that he had spent most of his life throughout his 30s and 40s, and now he's 50 years old. He said, I spent most of my life as a defeated Christian. And he just talked about how he would go to church and he felt like he was just being beat up Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And he said, I just felt so defeated. And he said, I was losing interest. I just didn't really want anything to do with church or with Jesus or with anything. And I said, well, Fred, what made the difference in your life? And he looked at me and he just had this big grin on his face. He said, it's the gospel. He says, I finally, at age 48, 
began to understand the gospel. He said, I began to understand what Jesus has done for me. And he says, it's changed my life. He says, it's no longer drudgery. And so I've just been thinking about that all week. I thought, wow, what a high note. I mean, I just said, I said, let's get together. Let's talk some more when you're not on duty at the Bloomington Police Department. Let's get together and talk. I mean, it's so exciting to see this. And so this morning as we come here to Colossians chapter 1, it's important that we stop for a minute and, and consider what is really going on here in the book of Colossians. This book of the Bible, along with uh, the book of Philippians and the book of Philemon, make up a portion of New Testament literature that we know as the prison epistles. Paul is nearing the end of his life, and he is in prison. Now, from what we uh, know, we're fairly certain that Paul never had any personal interaction with this church uh, that was made up of the Colossian believers. He didn't have any personal interaction. His interaction with them was, was through this letter. And so he's sitting in prison and somehow he finds out about the Colossians and their faith in Jesus Christ. And we see this in verses 7 through 8. He says, Just as you learned the gospel from a man named Epaphras, who is described here as our beloved servant, a faithful minister of Christ, he says in verse 8, He has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So we have three references in the New Testament to this man named Epaphras. The first is here in verses 7 and 8. Paul says that he shared the gospel with the Colossians. They learned about Jesus Christ through him. And Paul, in turn, learned about their faith in Jesus Christ through Epaphras. Now the other two references to this man are in Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. And there he is described as a servant of Jesus Christ. But the other reference that we have is in another prison epistle, which is the book of Philemon. And in verse 23, Epaphras is described there as my fellow prisoner with Jesus Christ. So, in other words, what we have here is Paphorus is in prison with Paul for the very same reason that Paul is in prison. And Epaphras has shared the gospel with the Colossians and he has come to prison and he has told Paul, hey, let me tell you about this church over in Colossae made up of Colossian believers. Let me tell you about them. They came to know Jesus Christ. And so Paul, in a prison cell, is encouraged by a fellow prisoner. And even though they are in prison for the gospel, the gospel is not in prison. It is unstoppable. And so Paul can write a wonderful verse here in verse 6 in which he says, All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and it's growing. And it's changing people's lives. And it is bringing renewal and restoration in people's lives and in churches. He says it's understanding what the gospel is. That God in His mercy 
has sent Jesus Christ into the world to pay the price for your sin and my sin. See, there is nothing we can do for Jesus Christ to be more pleased with us than he already is in us accepting his gift of salvation. That is the gospel. And it is bearing fruit and growing. And so here in verse 9 in our passage for today, Paul says, From the day we have heard about your faith, we have not ceased to pray for you. So in verses 9 through 14, we have a very specific prayer that Paul is praying for the Colossian believers that we're going to look at here this morning. But first, I just want to stop for a moment and talk about prayer. Just a quick word about prayer. Paul says here in verse 9, he says, We have not ceased to pray for you. Now, I don't know about you, but if, if I oftentimes get into conversations with people, and it seems that the acceptable Christian phrase that we so often throw about is what? Oh, I'll pray for you. And we just very casually spill that out in our contact with other people. I remember last uh, summer when I was in New York City, it was, it was Sunday afternoon and, and we had ju- I had just gotten to New York and, and we were getting settled in there and we were going to have a meeting that night and we were going to have worship service in the evening. And it's in the afternoon, uh, my wife calls me. And uh, she says, guess, guess who we just ran into? And she ran into some people we hadn't seen in a long time. Uh, she had taken the kids to a restaurant after church. And, and uh, my son had earned some points in his library card and got a free meal. And they went out to celebrate. And Of course, you know, when we run into friends that we have not seen in a long time, our children are always at their very best behavior. <laughs> And uh, so anyhow, as they were leaving the restaurant, this one woman that we hadn't seen, she says, well, I will pray for you. Very casually saying that, you know, uh, as I interact with that phrase, I really find that what it really is in my life a lot of times is just simply a matter of ending a conversation. I I have a friend of mine in Indiana who's been a faithful friend to me over the years. And if I need some prayer in my life, I know I can count on him. And I email him oftentimes and ask him to pray for me about certain things. Recently, we had to go to uh, court for Mary Jane. And uh, we had some decisions that were going to be made about her future, and we needed prayer. And I emailed this man, his name's Mark, and I said, would you please pray for us? And you know how I know that Mark just doesn't casually, glibly say, oh, I'll pray for you? The very next morning, I got an email from Mark. said, how'd it go? We were praying for you. I know he's praying. The other day, uh, I uh, was meeting with my pastor, as I do on um, Wednesday mornings. We get together at 6.30 and uh, just kind of go over some things. And he had an appointment with another man who came in while I was leaving and he starts sharing some things that are going on with his family and I, I caught myself 
Because I was about ready to say, oh, well, well, we'll pray for you. And I caught myself. I said, no, let's just pray right here where we are. You see, if it's important enough for me to say that I'll pray for you, then let's just pray. And what we know that Paul is not just glibly saying here that I'll pray for you, Colossians. When he says here that we have not ceased to pray for you, we know that he did pray. And the reason we know that he did pray is there are three specific things that he prayed for them. The first thing that he prayed for them is in verse 9, and it is that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. The second thing that he prayed for them was that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the third thing that he prayed for them was that they would be strengthened in their journey as believers in Jesus Christ. Now this first thing that he prayed for them in verse 9 is that he asked the Lord that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now there's two things here in this aspect of being filled with the knowledge of God's will. There is the aspect of understanding it, of having knowledge to possessing knowledge and to possessing understanding, as we see at the end of verse 9. Those are not the same thing. They're very closely related, but they're not the same thing. You see, we as Christians can get into a lot of trouble with knowledge. You can get so caught up in Bible knowledge that your head is so full of knowledge that as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, knowledge can puff up, can make us proud. We can be proud of the things that we know about the Bible. Bible knowledge is is only one aspect of, of the equation here. The other equation is understanding. It is what you do with that knowledge. Do you understand what that knowledge entails? Do you understand here, as we'll see in a moment, that that knowledge should equip you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? But it's an understanding of what God has done. You see, like my friend Fred that I ran into this week, I've known for a long time that Jesus Christ died on a cross for my sins. That He rose again. My daughter Mary Jane and my five-year-old son Andrew, they understand that. But do you understand that He died for you? That He died to sin and rose again. And, and, and when He was on that cross dying for you, you were on that cross with Him. And do you understand here what Paul is saying? He says, I'm praying in verse 9 that you understand the implications of this. This is a big deal. Jesus died for you. And today, as you stand before Him, He is pleased in you. Not because of what you have done or what you haven't done, but because His Son resides in you. 
And Paul is saying, I want to be filled with the knowledge of God's, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual understanding and wisdom. It is not just a moral code of conduct, but an understanding of what the gospel really entails to equip you to live as he wants you to live. If you look down here in chapter 2 of Colossians, Notice with me the first three verses of this, of this chapter. He says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. Now that struggle that he's speaking of here is being met in prayer. But he says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, but their hearts may be encouraged, being net together in love to reach all the riches. Notice this of a full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. And here it is. It's Christ. Do you understand here what Paul is saying? That everything that, he has, that has been revealed up to this time, all of the prophets, all of the kings, everything in God's revelation has been led up to this one moment of time and it is Jesus that He has revealed to you. I've been reading lately something that has been very convicting to me. It is, a, it is a survey that was taken in 2009 and it was uh, developed in 2010. The research kind of came together here in the last year uh, by a man named Christian Smith. He's a professor of sociology at the University of North Carolina and he's done, he's done a survey of, of teens, teenagers, and what they believe about Christianity and God and their practices. And after hundreds of discussions about uh, religion and God and faith and prayer and many different topics that we throw out there about, he has, uh, he has summarized their beliefs in three words. He says that most teenagers today subscribe to a belief that he describes as moralistic, therapeutic deism. Now just in a brief summary, I can, I can uh, give you what he, is, what he is describing here as moralistic, therapeutic deism. He's saying that they believe a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. He says, God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible by most world religions. The central goal of life, then, is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. He says, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. That's deism. God put the world in motion and he just stepped back. And you're on your own. And if you need some help, contact me. You know what that is? That's something that I grew up on called the Lord helps those who help themselves. And that's not biblical. He says, God, finally, God's people, if they're good, go to heaven when they die. 
You see, moralistic, therapeutic deism is not the gospel. This is not what Paul is praying for here in verse 9, that they would have some knowledge of God that He is out there to help you when you have a problem. On the other other days of the week, you're on your own. This is not the saving power of the gospel. It's not even close. And yet I don't think that his findings are limited to young people today. I know a lot of people my age who subscribe to that. And when I talk to my friend Fred, as I did earlier this week, and I look back on my life and my experience with Jesus Christ, I think there's a lot of times when I followed that. Where I looked at Christianity as just being a moral code that I was to be committed to. Just gut it out. And like Fred, through my 30s and and sometimes even on into my 40s, it's been drudgery. That's not the gospel. The gospel is a life-transforming power that Paul says, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You know, we sing a song at our church Maybe you do too. Maybe just not this Sunday. But a song called, Lord, I Want More of You. And I think it is one of the most convicting songs I have ever sung. And when we sing it, I stand there and I think, really? I'm not going to sing it for you, but I'll tell you how it goes. It says, Lord, I want more of You. Living water, rain down on me. Holy Spirit, come and fill me up. We are thirsty. We are hungry. We are thirsty and hungry for more of you. Does that song reflect the desire of your heart this morning? Lord, I want more of you. See, sometimes I think what I really want is more of me. You know, when I really get down to it and when I really look at how I so often am tempted to approach the Christian life I, I, in, in, in the Scriptures, so often I prayed, I fear that it's just more of me. That it's a more of me-ism in my life that I just want God to put His stamp of approval on my agenda and just confirm my will. And that is not what Paul is talking about here. Not at all. He is saying here in verse 10 that as you gain this spiritual wisdom and understanding that can only be found in Jesus Christ in Him alone, he is saying here in verse 10, to walk then in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him. And notice what is involved in that. Three things. Fully pleasing Jesus Christ, bearing fruit and increasing in this knowledge that He wants us to have and to understand. Something that I've written many years ago in my Bible and try to follow is that God is most pleased with me when I am most satisfied in Him. 
this fruit that we are to bear is consistent with the fruit that Paul speaks of here in verse 6 where he says all over the world this gospel is bearing fruit and it's growing, it's increasing, it's multiplying, it's spreading getting bigger and bigger and bigger all the time. That is not only the nature of the gospel, that is the nature of our very lives, that it increase and grow in God's knowledge. Finally, Paul prays here in verse 11 for strength for the journey that they are on. He says, May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance patience, and joy. That you endure this journey that we're on, that we are patient as we wait upon the Lord, and that we look to Him with a sense of joy, of something that is real and genuine in our lives. Now how do we do that? You see, I could just close in prayer this morning and I could tell you to go home and try harder and do better. I'm not going to do that this morning. Because there's something that happens that is very important that we understand if we are going to walk in a manner worthy of Jesus Christ, if we are going to be strengthened in this journey with Jesus Christ, if we are to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, there are something very, very important that we have to understand and it's not time to close in prayer yet. The thing that we have to understand is three very important verbs that Paul uses to describe what has happened to the Colossian believers. And they are found in verses 12 and 13. My translation has translated them thus, qualified, delivered, and transferred. And those three verbs really in our culture can get very misunderstood. You know, the UPS man delivers. Domino's delivers. The postman delivers. We think of transferred or qualified. What do you think of? I don't know about you, but when I think of being qualified, I think about getting a job somewhere. And do I meet the qualifications for that job? And so often what we're thinking of in terms of qualification is that we we go to college, that we get a good education, that we get some job experience, and then we apply at various places and we build ourselves up and we move on. That somehow we become qualified. When I think of transferred, what do you think of? I transferred from a junior college to a state university, four-year university. When I moved from Michigan back home to Illinois, I transferred my driver's license. You get the picture? But that's not what Jesus has done for us here. That's not what Paul is describing. He is saying, you give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. How has He done that? He has done that by shedding His blood for you and for me. The precious blood of Jesus Christ that you and I have been bought with. And that has qualified you for an entrance 
and an inheritance with his saints. Several months ago, I, I had to preach a sermon at my church, and I preached out of Second Peter chapter 1. And I was so struck by what Peter said. He said, Peter, a servant of Jesus Christ to those who have inherited, been granted an inheritance just like ours. And I think of that. And that's really the same thing Paul is saying here. We have an inheritance with the saints. I stand on the same footing. I have the same qualifications that Peter, James, John, Paul, Epaphras, all the heroes of the faith, all the saints. We stand with them in Jesus Christ. God the Father has qualified us to share in that. Quite different than what we may think of in terms of qualifications. He has, not only that, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Before Christ in our lives, we were slaves to sin. We were children of wrath. We were alienated from the promises of God. And now with Jesus Christ, He has delivered us from that darkness. And as He says at the end here of verse 13, He has transferred us. He has moved us from one point to another. He has taken us from death and He's placed us in life. He has brought us from darkness. He has placed us in light. We have been qualified, delivered, and transferred. I don't know if I can possibly convey in my feebleness, in my own flesh, the magnitude of what Paul is saying here with these three verbs, that you have been delivered, qualified, delivered, and transferred into Jesus Christ for endurance for patience, for joy, to walk in a manner worthy of Jesus Christ. I have a friend of mine who emailed me something here a while back. It was one of these uh, mass emailings that I got. You ever get one of those? It's like, I'm going to ma- email this to everybody I know. And I looked at who was, you know, two, and it just went on and on. It was almost longer than the actual email. But he wanted everybody to get this. And, and I, I printed this out. And I want to close with this this morning. It is something called the Fellowship of the Unashamed. And it says, I am a part of the Fellowship of the Unashamed. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back. Let up. Slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I am finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, chintzy giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, abundance, or popularity. I now live by presence, lean by faith, love by patience, 
lift by prayer and labor by power. My pace is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow. My way is rough, my companions few, my guide reliable, my mission clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go until heaven returns, give until I drop, preach until all know, and work until he comes. And when he comes to get his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My colors will be clear. And he closes with Romans 1.16. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation. To all who have faith, to live a life worthy of our calling, walk in a manner worthy of Jesus, to be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding and to be strengthened for endurance, patience, and joy in this journey, we must understand that we have been qualified, delivered, and transferred in Jesus Christ. And so my prayer for myself this week and my prayer for you is that we understand the transforming power of the gospel that my friend Fred smiled so beautifully about last Wednesday. That Jesus has done that for you to go forth and live for him and labor over here in this great community. Will you pray with me?